0: Hello and welcome to Virtual Roundtables Live, the broadcast that brings business leaders together to discuss and debate the latest industry topics and trends. Now over to today's host. Thank you, Wendy. Um, As Wendy said, I'm Lior Frank, CMO at Augusta. Um, Very briefly, Augusta is a litigation financier, so if you have a legal problem and no one can pay for it, give us a call. And that's the end of my pitch for Augusta. Um, Just a little bit on my background. I have spent 20 years in the B2B professional services industry, originally as a journalist. um, Then I went to business school. And in about the year 2000, I joined a consulting firm called Arthur Anderson, if anyone recalls that firm, which at the time, to my mind, was the preeminent brand in the industry. Um, I'm also not going to talk about the demise of Anderson, but I have spent much of the last two decades in marketing roles as a marketing director at Deloitte, the consulting firm, at Ernst Young, the consulting firm, at FTI Consulting, the consulting firm, uh, and now at Augusta, which is not a consulting firm. Um, but you'll be glad to hear I'm not going to talk more about my background. What I would like to talk about is cutting through the noise with a challenger brand, and I'm going to use a case study, and the case study is FTI Consulting, ...for the simple reason that it is not the kind of brand that everyone knows. In fact, a show of hands, before I mentioned the name today, who had heard of FTI Consulting? <coughs> one person, one person possibly picking their nose, so it's possibly too difficult to tell. So FTI is 5,000 people, 2 billion in turnover, which sounds big. But as I'll illustrate in a second, compared to many of the consulting brands you'll know, it's actually quite small, hence the need to uh, cut through the noise... And I'm going to talk about a case study of marketing at the World Economic Forum annual meeting in Davos, um, which to my mind is probably the biggest opportunity for B2B professional services marketing that there is. Before I embarrass myself, has anyone in the room been to Davos for the World Economic Forum? Good, then I can make up anything I like and no one will know the wiser. Before I go into the detail of some of the tactics that I found successful, I'd I'd like to talk about a concept that I use for strategizing around marketing. I call it the favorability journey. Um, I mean, you'll be familiar with sales funnels and uh, customer journeys. This is effectively that, but bespoke and specific to B2B professional services. And it's four R's, not five P's or seven P's or five W's or whatever, but four R's, building recognition of the brand, developing the reputation as a thought leader, creating relationships with buyers and influencers, and then driving revenue. Let me bring that to life with an example that you probably won't relate to. Imagine you're traveling for work and you're at a conference in a slightly dodgy hotel in the middle of nowhere. I'm sure this doesn't resonate with any of you. But to expand the um, analogy further, imagine you're abroad in a country where you don't speak the language, and you walk into the bar looking for a drink, there's no one in the bar, there's no bartender, no other customers, on the shelf are 20 bottles of wine. You look at them from a distance, but you don't recognize any of the brands. How can you possibly narrow the 20 down to the one you want without any recognition of the brand? You can't. And it's the same in professional services. There are a vast array of good quality, competing consulting firms. If you don't know them, you can't begin to make an educated judgment. But you're back in the bar, you look more closely at these 20 bottles, and you see that five or six of them have a logo on that you recognise, maybe a vineyard or a a wine organisation that you've heard of, or some kind of award, something that gives you a sense about their reputation, which is the second step of my journey. And knowing that they have that award or they're manufactured by a a known vineyard, it gives you some assurance about the calibre, the quality of the brand. So reputation, obviously important but you're still left with five and you can't choose between those five because they all have the same logo on them that gives you that assurance suddenly at last the bartender walks in and you have a chat with the bartender and you talk about your preferences you want something dry and fruity or whatever and the bartender builds a bit of relationship with you understands your needs your preferences and can say okay here are the two that you can choose from one of them is 15 pounds a bottle one is £150 a bottle. I know which I'd go for. Um, others might make a different choice. For me in professional services, this is about the revenue marketing, the exact pitch proposition at that particular place or point in time. Um, and I call that the favorability journey, and I use that to inform how I plan for things like the World Economic Forum. And this is a graphical representation of that, um, the four steps, recognition of the brand, enhancing reputation, building relationships, and driving revenue. And when I talk in a minute about the example of marketing at the World Economic Forum, I'll explain how we decided what to to choose. But because none of you have uh, been to the World Economic Forum, I can tell you whatever I like about it. And here are a few facts. Um, The annual meeting happens every January in a ski resort in Davos in Switzerland, thousands of feet above sea level, covered in snow, really unusual environment to hold a conference. A, because of the weather. B, you can't get there without either taking a long train journey, several trains, or several hours in a car. C, it's secure. There are about 5,000 policemen and women hanging around in Davos to protect the 3,000 prime ministers, presidents, and CEOs of multinational corporates in town. Some of the venues, some of the hotels that you might want to hold an event in, have armed security around them and airport-style checks. It's not like holding an event here where anyone can walk in on the street. It's, it's complex. And that also means that not anyone can hold an event. Um, you have to be a partner of the forum. Um, you have to pay a lot of money to, to join the club. Um, and let me bring that to life with an example. Just in the professional services industry, here are a list of the partners as of last year. Virtually every large multinational consulting firm you would have heard of. And the firm I work for, FTI Consulting, which is a fantastic quality top-end firm, but less well-known as evidenced by the reaction in the room. So that's why this talk is described as cutting through the noise. To to give you a point of comparison, as I said, FTI, 2 billion turnover, 5,000 staff, some of the firms on here that you will have heard of are a little bit larger. Who's heard of McKinsey? Not every hand goes up, which is really quite... Okay, okay, they've woken up. I was worried for a second. McKinsey is medium-sized, fantastic top-tier brand. Most people know them, renowned for high-quality work. They are, to my knowledge, about 20,000 people and 10 billion in revenue. Um, I mean, that's large by most business standards, but in the consulting industry, it's not. So I was a marketing director at Deloitte. Deloitte is 50 billion in turnover and 300,000 people. So you can imagine the kind of firepower some of the firms on this page have to market in any situation, let alone at the World Economic Forum where you have 3,000 of the top business and political leaders in one place at one time. It's effectively the holy grail for consulting. So people put a lot of time and money into it and to bring that to life, here's an example of some of the stuff that one of the uh, consulting firms, KPMG, does. KPMG is, is huge, not quite the same size as Deloitte, it's a mere... 30 billion in turnover and 200,000 staff. So small by comparison. But you'll see on this page examples of some of the, the stuff KPMG does at Davos. There's a whole series of social media activity. They effectively take over Twitter in the most effective way you can imagine during that week. They hold a series of events. They have a KPMG bar that anyone can walk into and avail themselves of unlimited drinks at any time of the day, which sounds terrible, doesn't it? Um, they have a lounge that people can go and use, a bit like a, a business class lounge. The kind of money some of these firms are spending is it's pretty impressive. Some of them are known to spend two to three million pounds for the four days of the conference. Is that a lot of money for conference marketing? Yeah. So, how much did I have at FTI Consulting? Any guesses compared to the two or three million some of the others had? 200,000. That would have been generous. In my first year, I had 50,000. By year five, I got up to about 150, but uh, a small fraction. So um, our tactics had to be perhaps slightly different to the big firms, more focused. I don't want to use the word guerrilla because of course in the professional services industry, trust and reputation are very important. So you don't want to do anything that is perceived as underhand or too aggressive. But we looked to leverage everything we did in, in the most effective way possible. And I'll bring that to life with a few examples. So I talked about my journey, the favorability journey, and the fact that we were concentrating here on three things. Firstly, building recognition of the brand. Very important, given the reaction in the room and our competitive environment where you recognise most of the, na- the names. Secondly, reputation. Really trying to help us stand out amongst the plethora of firms in Davos as being a thought leader. Difficult, given the sums others are investing. And thirdly, actually trying to get our hands on the senior leaders in the room, the CEOs, CFOs, chairmen of multinational corporates who are attending Davos. So that's what we were trying to achieve. What did we do? So on the recognition side, we did basically what everyone else did. Social media, activation, um, pictures of our people attending, saying, can you come and and meet us? Nothing that, frankly, is out of the ordinary or particularly exciting. Um, And compared to the efforts of other firms, pretty, pretty standard. What we did that I think was quite special was we asked other people to disseminate this for us. So, um, I don't know the mix of businesses in this room, but are, organisations are often members of trade associations. We reached out to every trade association we were involved in and said, could you please share this through your channels so that any of your members who are attending are informed? We presented it as a value add to the trade associations. What we were really saying was, please help us. And actually quite a few of them did year after year. They were very happy to disseminate this as free content or free um, events for their client base. What they were actually doing was marketing our events. Um, We also worked with a number of media organisations, not on a paid basis, but we offered them access to the events in return for coverage of what we were discussing. Um, Again, a very cost-effective thing to do. Nothing out of the ordinary. I'm sure people do this already for the events that you run in in less difficult-to-access destinations. But on the um, reputation side, um, we put a lot of effort into what I would describe as borrowing the halo of others. So over the five years I was there, we ran 15 events. And the events were, frankly, breakfast discussions, which in itself are not particularly sophisticated. The key thing was who we had speaking. You can imagine the 3,000 delegates at Davos, CEOs of the biggest multinational corporates, presidents and prime ministers, they aren't going to turn up to a breakfast unless someone particularly interesting is speaking. I mean that's kind of obvious. So I'll talk through some of the people that we had speak and then explain what we did to leverage it. So um, top left, apologies, the graphics are probably too small to see. We had the CEO of, of Investec, um, a large asset manager and um, an investment bank, a chap called Henrik Um I'm not sure if that's a familiar name, but in his industry, he's a rock star. So we were very proud to, to get him to join our breakfast. But the key thing was, we asked his organisation, Investec, to, to market the event for us as well, through their social media channels, <coughs> through the networks they were part of. Um, and we, we reached out to the media. We had seven or eight journalists from multinational titles come along to hear him speak. But in doing so, they promoted the event for us as well. Again, it's not a particularly sophisticated uh, you know, technique, but it's about taking the halo of the individual and leveraging their network. I'll give you another example. Um, Again, you won't be able to see it. Now, based on yesterday's events in Bulgaria, this is nothing to do with football. Um, You probably can't see what I'm talking about. Everyone's got their hand raised in a somewhat unfortunate way, so it's a bad joke, I'm afraid. Um, But that that was a panel discussion around um, the advent of of the Internet, and our star speaker was Tim Berners-Lee, the founder of the organisation that created the Internet. I don't know if that's a name that's familiar to many people in the room, but again, when we secured him, we reached out to all the organisations he was involved in and and known by to ask them to promote this event. So really capturing their audience to promote the event. And the final example over here, uh, a panel discussion on the future of um, industry in Africa. Um, We had a series of luminaries from the market. We had the finance minister of Rwanda, the governor of the Central Bank of Kenya, But the chairperson of the event was the Africa editor for CNBC. Um, A lady called Bronwyn Nielsen, who's a very well-known journalist in that market. But the key thing for us was we got CNBC to tweet about our events. And they have, I don't know, two and a half million followers on Twitter. Um, Pretty good for a firm of our size not putting any funds into activating that channel to get CNBC to retweet what we were doing. I'm sure nothing I've said so far particularly stands out, but for me, the only way we could cut through in that noisy environment was not by using our brand, but borrowing the brand halo of these star speakers. And there are other examples I, I won't bore you with. Um, the important thing for me was to get their names up there early and effectively push it out to all of the channels we had, as I've described we found particular traction with the media with some of these speakers. They're individuals from the reaction in the room people will have heard of. Better personal brand recognition than the firm that I was marketing. So their halo is what enabled us to time and time again fill the room. Does that make sense? OK. Oh, good. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so um, the, the other thing I want to talk about, um, somewhat whimsically, um, the first night of Davos each year, we held a party. I mean, it, this is, at one level, completely unexciting. Everyone has cocktail receptions at conferences. But our prime audience with this event wasn't necessarily the 3,000 CEOs and CFOs attending Davos. They would personally be invited probably to 200 events during that week. And whilst we capture a good number of them at our, at our cocktail party, really the people we were trying to get in the room were their bag carriers, communication directors. Most of these c-suite level individuals who go to davos go with an entourage and our goal was not to get the c-suite but to get their sidekick to turn up people who are influencers people who are at the top table not necessarily a member of it but have the ear of the ceo the chairman all the time um, and time and time again we had a capacity of 75 we had 250 in the room which was a slight issue logistically um but that was i don't know don't know whether you want to call it a guerrilla technique but That community, the comms people, were often flattered to receive an invitation personally in their own right, rather than just taking the uh, handoffs from their CEO or chairman. And it became a fixture on the circuit of the Davos Week, this event that we did to attract the communications group. It's not really a guerrilla technique, but it was a, a way of us using a fairly small amount of money to capture an unfortunately unloved audience as a way of influencing our prime target, the CEOs and chairmen. Um, it's pretty obvious isn't it but uh, I, this is being recorded so I've probably given the game away I'm not sure anyone else does that at Davos despite the huge number of consulting firms on the ground um, so conscious of time um, I talked at the beginning of the session about this favorability journey as I described the four R's um, the challenge for me with that very limited budget and with limited brand awareness um, was to be absolutely certain about what we were trying to do on this journey, how to move people along it, um, and where the biggest bang for buck was. Um, And my key takeaway from doing that at Davos five years was if you don't have brand awareness in your own right, nick it from someone else who does. Um, And if you're lucky enough that they'll hang out with you, you can use that to good effect. Thanks for joining us this week on Virtual Roundtables Live. Make sure to visit our website www.virtualroundtables.com to learn more about upcoming webinars and events.